communism is going to destroy this world. Um, the, the, <laughs> divine, I'm, I'm serious. Divine intervention will be our salvation. We are going to be cancelled. Being a superficial British woman, I, <laughs> I, I only have heard about Milan Fashion Week. So tell me about the Stayevsky. China before communism, when in fact what they're doing is China into postmodernity. Once you cancelled me, you can't have me back. The morals are following money. The, the freedom mm -hmm. of speech in a country should not be dictated by a corporation. They We're not doing propaganda. We are yeah. practicing spiritual enlightenment. The spirituality is a product that you can buy on the shelves of a supermarket. We have done some incredible but terrifying and cruel job with mass media in Russia. That was a little bit too gay, wasn't it? Sorry. No, uh, no. Let me go back to pretend to be straight. We are unable to innovate, therefore we don't even try. Culture gone bad is bad. It's bad and we are back as well. Yes. So Drupi, uh, tell me what's been happening. Well, I don't know if you heard of it, but there is a war going on. Are you Russian, aren't you? I'm British, excuse me. You are British, yeah, but I mean, you used to be Russian. Once, in, once, once, once a time. you go KGB, yeah. you never go back. So just talking about this uh, idea of, um, of people who used to be Russians, Dostoevsky, did you hear what happened in Milan? At um, University Bicocca in Milan, that's, that's something disgusting happened. Well, I'll be honest, being a superficial British woman, I, <laughs> I, I only have heard about Milan Fashion Week. So tell me about the Stayevsky. Exactly. So just during the Milan Fashion Week, Milano Bicocca thought that it was a good idea to take a stance against Putin and in support of Ukraine to cancel Dostoevsky. So oh, they wow. basically, they asked a professor who was uh, meant to deliver a lesson on Dostoevsky. They asked him not to do it because it could have been interpreted as a, uh, as a uh, sort of controversial thing to do to make him speak about Dostoevsky. And then, you know, Italy is not a country that knows how to handle cancel culture. Is is not is not America is not England is not it's not as politically correct. But is well, not, that's something is, is I can define exactly. For sure. Italy is intrinsically not politically correct. So they realized that they did the wrong thing. They were trying to imitate probably America or the UK or all these amazingly politically correct countries, and they called the professor and said, we were wrong. Could you come and, and deliver the Dostoevsky lessons? We probably uh, <laughs> overreacted. And the guy said, well, given that you... Uh, that you already cancelled him. That you already cancelled him. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I want to deliver the lesson now. Maybe you don't deserve Dostoevsky. Ooh, wow. And so that was a good answer. I think it's brilliant. You know, yes. like once you cancelled me, you can't have me back. You know, exactly. that's it. Exactly. You got you to think, make up your mind. You think about cancelling before. Also, I, what would you do with Bulgakov? Uh, he was born in Ukraine, right? Yeah. He was. He was he always identified as Russian, but he was born in Ukraine. What would, you, what would we do with somebody like Bulgakov? Because today that position would be very controversial. Well, well I mean, I'll take it even further. Like, what would you do with most of people in Russia, half Ukrainian, like my like past? You. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So how can you avoid that and what you do with that? Well, luckily, luckily, I do have 
books by both authors behind my back. So I feel even where things go downhill and we both get cancelled, I will have some memory to keep. So I guess it... Uh, it keeps my sanity, but I have managed to secure uh, some of, you know, literature, masterpieces before we've been cancelled. You know, you can say we live in the times before and after war, but we also live in the times before and after cancellation. And I'm not talking about flights. No, indeed, indeed. Yeah. You know what? Another thing which has been kind of... Uh, really fascinating me this week i read a lot of articles and i've come across new term which is called corporate citizenship have you ever heard about it nope. no so obviously with the war happening a lot of businesses decided they will support ukraine and now there's new capitalistic flag where you have to decide uh, which country you stand with and which political regime you basically support <laughs> i think often before um, corporations just were more about m making money and i think this is a huge sort of moral dilemma and i think i shared some materials with you on this topic this week is that uh, do corporate businesses focus on making profit because this is what we do or are we there to take moral and political stance and essentially corporate citizenship means what companies are taking stance and they say we support ukraine and we uh cancel russia well i think this is what happened russia been cancelled no more yeah. McDonald's. do you remember that last week i was complaining about the fact that last time we recorded mm -hmm. i was complaining about the fact that fashion brands didn't seem to react much well now everyone uh, now everyone is doing it why because they waited they they, they, they were not attacking Russia. They were not taking a stance against Russia because they wanted to see where the power game was heading. They understood that the power game was heading in favor of the West and, in, and everybody was going to be against Russia. And also they probably understood that Russia was going through an economic, a an economic crisis and, and people were not going to buy anything anyway in Russia. So they thought, okay, because it I'm not going to make money in Russia anyway. Therefore, let me and their and their um, accounts are going to be blocked anyway. So they're not buying my brand anyway. So let let let's take a stance against them because it's more profitable. They are they're not going to buy in any case. So th that's I think is is what is happening. And they do think that uh, this moral um, approach will will yield more more profit, but. It, I'm not sure of that. Well, really apparently sure morals are following money. That's what we can learn from the past two weeks. But, you know, I think, yeah, this is a huge dilemma, but also uh, we suddenly start identifying brands with countries. And this is almost like, you know, this type of a heritage marketing where brands, you know, they build the idea of a brand value through uh, having links to some specific na nation or country. And now it's becoming like where brands also need to have citizenship according to this theory, which is quite, quite crazy. You know, I feel like if, if anything, what it does, it, uh, the, it splits our society even more yeah. because, uh, you know, we never probably consider, even though we know all brands have a region somewhere, you know, you probably can go everywhere around the world. I mean, until recently and buy Coca-Cola, obviously now you can't have McDonald's or Coca-Cola in Russia. But the thing is, 
there are some brands, even though we understand where we're from, where are ubiquitous and experienced on a global scale. But what's happening right now, now brands say, no, we have a moral stance, therefore we're not existing in this market. And then essentially it only separates us more and we can think about what what our society strives to achieve. We think, we think about the idea that we want better future, more equal opportunities for everyone. Well, this is this is what moral values say us. This is why we do that. Well, by uh, building borders and removing things and not making them accessible to wider society, you know. In Russia, you can't get hold of basic medication now. You can't get. I'm, wow. I'm not talking about fancy things. All the, for example, uh, cancer organizations, which are international, they stopped their ties with Russia. So now people like doctors in Russia, we can't be part of a global community in the medical frame. Like wh- why we refuse people medical treatment based on their citizenship. I think this is, this is where it goes. Like it starts in a corporate culture, but we have to remember medication and pharmacy, pharma, uh, pharmaceutical industry, we also corporations and they also participate in that. And then it take, makes this experience yes. very polarizing yeah. rather than uniting. Yeah. Um, the, in fact, the link to what you're saying, I, I read some, some, analysts who were very critical of the extent to which we were sanctioning Russia. Now, just disclaimer, I'm not an expert, but I do think that is the correct thing to do to sanction Russia um, right now. To squeeze. But this, I was reading this analyst who was explaining how this can obtain the opposite effect because uh, c- countries that are sanctioned are cut out from the from the from the west and and therefore this increases their nationalism because they feel uh, somehow uh, because they feel oppressed by by being sanctioned and this allows the dictator or the ruler of those countries to uh, to have an argument against the countries that are sanctioning therefore in rather than creating problems for the country it may actually strength, strengthen the consensus uh, around mm-hmm. around putin uh, which is not a good thing um even though i i keep hearing polls i don't know how reliable they are that putin is not does not have such a big uh, such a big um you know the people don't support uh, yeah um, another thing though i wanted to say before before carrying on on this is that i am very scared of brands behaving like nations brands pretending that they are states this is very very dangerous i do believe in the free market but this is not free market. This is very dangerous because do you remember when brands cancelled Donald Trump from Twitter? Yeah, it was disastrous because because his tweets were pretty, pretty good or entertaining. No, because because <laughs> they were they were keeping a lot of di- dictators who were yeah much worse than Donald Trump on Twitter, and they didn't take the same stance in every mm. case. So Donald Trump is not good, but I don't know, but some, some dictator in some Middle Eastern country that, that is okay, or some ISIS uh, guy that is okay to keep. So th- what I'm against is not that, um, first of all, I am for freedom Basically, of speech. Basically, nothing is equal, really. You know, all things considered, 
the things are not equal. This is the thing. We are selective. We are not only given moral lessons. Yeah. When we, we have double binds, essentially. The, the thing is that the reason why that we are, as you say, we are not equal is because we're leaving it to brands to decide. And brands should not be the arbiter of what can be said. If anything, there should be a third party that regulates this sort of fake communication, fake news, a third party, not a brand. The, the freedom mm -hmm. of speech in a country should not be dictated by a corporation. That is extremely dangerous. Speaking of freedom of speech, I had a very interesting experience recently, Julia. So I went to see a performance by a ballet dancing a troupe called Shen Yun. Basically, it's advertised everywhere in this surreal, pastel colors. So if anyone lives in a big city, we would have seen it because they travel around the world nonstop with their performances every year. Like, it's nonstop performance. Right. I have been watching it for many years, not the performance, the advertising, because it's ubiquitous. It's like next time you're on a tube, like, watch around, you, you'll notice it. So basically... The advertising usually presents some sort of a pastely massive banner. And when there are maybe 50 uh, Asian-looking women uh, taking very complex uh, dance or gymnastic position in traditional Chinese outfit, and it says uh, China before communism or experience the traditional dance from, uh, from Asian tradition of China. And basically, uh, I had an opportunity to go and see it. And frankly, I did not research much. And I thought, I'm just going to go and see it for what it is. Obviously, I was a little bit skeptical after, you know, like China before communism and all that. But I'm, I just thought, I'm going to go and watch and see it. So essentially, this performance uh, has digital screen behind it. And when dancers do their routine, which is very enigmatic it's i would almost describe it hypnotic the way they dance it's very repetitive there are a lot of people and they do with circular motions i would say it's mesmerizing on a stimulation of visual repetition and symmetry yeah. and proportion and then there's a digital screen where they synchronize it so well it looks like we jump out from digital so it's like a cartoon happening at the same time with performance but cartoon also says a message is like uh, communism is going to destroy this world um divine <laughs> I'm, I'm serious divine intervention will be our salvation don't trust atheism it's all about the power of god um, communism is bad uh, we must uh, and you pay to do this well i'll be honest i did not pay for it but um yes uh, the tickets are very expensive actually like uh, sometimes like people pay i think up to a few hundred pounds for it. but this is where i mean it isn't it very didascalic and stupid to say the goal so bluntly? Shouldn't you suggest the real goal rather than saying it? Well, I think, like, I was thinking about it, because the performance goes for more than two hours. And in the beginning, I, I just thought it was surreal and entertaining, like, you know, to see this, like, digital screen, yeah. crazy dance performance, and then between each performance, a man and a woman go on stage, and we explain you, we say, you know what, we really want to highlight, a lot of people in China are being oppressed right now, and next, yeah. next performance, we'll show you the beauty of divine intervention, let's applaud now. And I was like thinking, like, what the fuck is going on? So they on? are exploiting this for making money, essentially. Yes, 
I look. I did my research after that, and essentially, this is actually American uh, troop, which says they have people who've been oppressed in China, and apparently they moved to America, and it's a New York-based academy. Yeah, yeah, okay, I understand. But but basically, like for the performance, at some point when we were showing picture of a m- contemporary city in a video, where was McDonald's? Yeah, like it's all it's all beyond. Uh, right. So, uh, did you watch the Disney movie? Um about uh, Anastasia? When I was a child, yeah. When you were a child. Was it allowed in Russia? Yes, it was. Right. Yeah, because I was asking my Russian students and they didn't, because I've got a Russian student called Anastasia and I was saying, did you watch the Disney movie? And both of them didn't didn't uh, know it. Uh, Maybe maybe I'm older. Right. uh, I'm saying this and I'm saying it from the perspective of someone, someone who doesn't have any any sense of respect for communist regimes. Oh. I do not. I'm certainly not a communist. Let's say that. I, I don't have much, so, much uh, passion for communism. For <laughs> but but the way in which sometimes America uses these products to, uh, to um, I don't know, to attack, these, uh, to attack communism in a very stupid way, not in a very sophisticated way. And Anastasia was exactly the same thing. Do you remember the story? The princess Anastasia, who, by the way, was never a princess because she was an imposter who was in some mud house, the real Anastasia, I mean, um, claiming to be the princess. Uh, but in the, in the Disney movie, of course, she's Anastasia. And there is this, this sort of conflation between Rasputin uh, and and the Bolsheviks, mm-hmm. and they are the main people, and and it, so the Tsars are amazingly portrayed as uh, you know this fantastic world, and and Rasputin and the and the and the hungry and angry people in the streets are sort of the main, and it's American anti-communist propaganda, but the way in which it's made is so nasty, so ugly you know so so very basic one level no depth no possibility of uh, of such sophistication in the message yes. so this seems to me the same thing i think you got it Drupi. i have to comment on aesthetics as well so first of all uh the garments i understand it's probably traditional but they're incredibly colorful and so much going on and i also thought pastel, you said right it's pastel but it's like is it to avoid the red of communism there are some, but we also have thought. dancers who represent yeah. communists, but communists wear black and they have red writing. Oh. Like it's, you also have people suddenly who look like contemporary China, but it looks like they're from fifties, like girls in long skirts, and when they have like a scene where communists kill the girls, it, right. it's 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 amazing, Drew. But like honestly, it's surreal. But the thing is. This is my point. Aesthetics, I thought, were so low. This digital performance cartoon happening in the background, it was taking away attention from the amazing choreography, which it just completely killed the choreography. But also, you know, this message suddenly on the screen, which says, avoid atheism or... But do you realize that this uh, this is not now on the one level they say because the the, beauti- the most beautiful thing about this type of American productions cheap productions is to try to read it against the grain and find a cracking point what what Derrida called the construction right yeah. so the the the, the 
the funny thing about this is that they say China before communism, when in fact what they're doing is China into postmodernity, because uh, this is it's using all the all the postmodern devices of lights and screens, yes. etc. And it's talking about the very essence of postmodernism, which is the fall and the, the, the splintering of the master narratives, one of which is indeed ideology and communism. So it's actually projecting China, rather than before communism, China in the future, in the postmodern future, without ideology, without, without, um, without any master narrative. China after the crumbling of every certainty. And so, you know how it therefore, ends. it's not a China in the past, it's China in the future. Yes, so basically, so you have a visual reference. The way the performance ends, suddenly there is a contemporary Chinese city with high rises and tsunami with a head of Karl Marx comes over and <laughs> <laughs> it destroys the city. But guess what? The last moment, some sort of a fairy tale, rainbow light comes through and Buddha emerges from a digital screen, oh jumps on stage and saves the day. And this crazy... Buddha. No, no, this is the thing that I find the most uh, interesting and the most dangerous is when uh, the West capitalism and this sort of um, splintered postmodern reality um, invokes... Um, Eastern spirituality. Yeah, that capitalism, is, spirituality, and this, McDonald's. It, well, yeah, this sort of new age for the masses where spirituality is a product that you can buy on the shelves of a supermarket. It's not something that you have to devote your life to, but it's something that, yeah, you do it once a day, you meditate, you know. And Zizek talks about this very, very often in many of his books and that's what it seems to me is using spirituality for something that has nothing to do with spirituality, but is actually buying salvation on the shelf of a supermarket or maybe on Amazon. I mean, salvation is quite expensive. Like the ticket, very, <laughs> very expensive salvation. <laughs> thing. Maybe it's better just to see and not accept, accept what we all have to say. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, even it salvation was... becomes a, mar um, a commodified, a marketable commodity. Amazing. Yeah. Like morality. We were saying before, morality and salvation, marketable commodities. We live in a truly surreal time, truly surreal. Uh, but why I want to talk about it today? Because I want to turn it into a different conversation, which is a little bit closer to home. So I thought this thing was, even in a dance performance, it was hypnotic. And my experience was, what the fuck the whole time? However, most people in the audience were absolutely mesmerized. They were an ave. Like, we literally were adoring it. And I realized what this dance and this message is like a propaganda. Essentially, we are propagandizing spirituality in the essence of capitalism. And I understood that some people don't even realize what is going on. We're just watching on these beautiful women spinning in these dresses yeah. and their fans and their routine and all this music and sounds and digital stimulation, like brain is stimulated. And I realized this is exactly what Russian TV has been doing for the past years. And this is my comment. I'm not sure how many people actually support Putin. I, I'm not like, you know, I'm not following the statistics, but I feel like there is a split between people who have been brainwashed by state propaganda, which has been exercised in entertainment TV with this sort of a hypnotic entertainment cheap performances. 
and government messages one after another. So I feel this is what happened in Russia. And that's why I thought the evil of everything that is going right now is very banal because essentially people have just been brainwashed into believing mm. the illusionary world. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, if you look at, uh, because obviously regimes um, require um, support. The only, the only regime that does not require, not regime, the only system that requires disagreement is democracy. Democracy loves disagreement, but regime, regimes who don't have space for disagreement still require support. That's why they're not oppressive in the sense that they are uh, necessarily um, working against the people. Sometimes they, the people want them. I mean, one example is obviously Nazism or fascism. And, and it's not by chance that Mussolini uh, thought that cinema was the most potent um, weapon. Uh, and the same with Hitler. His, his speeches were so amazingly constructed. You know the image of of the of the chief is always amazingly constructed, but this is obviously, as you say, used even by liberal liberal democracies in a way. You know, entertain the people to teach them. Yeah, yeah, but I think like Russia did it well. Like I do know a lot of people like are completely brainwashed and support Putin. That's for sure. I don't know how many, but a lot. And therefore, I do think they have done some incredible but terrifying and cruel job with mass media in Russia. Like, and I think what's going on, it's a I big mean, you outcome know, of What's that. the name of Ivan the Terrible? Ivan the Terrible? Ivan, uh, yeah, Ivan Grozny. Ivan Grozny, yeah. No, he's called the Terrible, not by, you know, not, not for any, he's the first Tsar of Russia, the first Tsar who unified the three Russias. I and suppose. killed his son. And killed his son. Exactly. That's where I'm getting. So uh, even uh, the three Russias were the small Russia today called Ukraine, Belarus, the white Russia and Russia. Are you Am saying Putin is going to, yeah, are you saying Putin is going to repeat his destiny and kill his children? Uh, <laughs> I don't think he, he's got any, any, any moral pro, any attachment. No, what I want to say is that Putin uh, did something very bad uh, regarding oh, very, to even very, very, very many many bad things but one about even the terrible because uh, even gross grossny 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 even very grossny very grossny <laughs> um, so essentially we know that he killed his son and we know it because uh, one papal uh, sort of uh, politician at the time reported this news in the west right and there is a painting which is very and funny. there is exactly a, a, there is a painting exactly and there is a very famous painting of even i think after killing his son or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. so knife, Putin yeah, uh, said uh, also pushed by some other um, orthodox um, ex high priests I don't know how to call them anyhow they were questioning the idea that even killed his son and they said that it was western propaganda and Putin and they asked to remove the, the painting and Putin said the same thing he said no 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 now most historians would not agree that even killed son so that's just western propaganda trying to make russia look bad and trying to you know everything is everything is a creation of the west even even the war in ukraine you know it's forbidden to say the word war um they call it liberation or however they call it uh, special intervention because <laughs> because essentially what they're doing in, in ukraine is apparently a, an invention a creation of the west yeah we're not doing propaganda we are yeah. practicing spiritual enlightenment yeah enlightenment yeah 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 nice well 
on a lighter note, so, Jupe, do you think it's still appropriate to have fun and carry on with fashion weeks, considering what is going on in the world and considering corporate citizenships? How does these two things work together? I do think that we need to carry on um, as much as possible in our, you know, um, we need to to carry on. What I don't like is not when the world carries on as normal, but when it carries on as normal, pretending to, you know, to do it for some major uh, high moral reasons. Um, I don't like hypocrisy, but I do think we should carry on. And I do think that the economy needs to carry on. Um, I do think that you know, I always think about without making an, impro an, uh, an incorrect comparison. Do you know Primo Levi? No, I do not. Primo Levi is uh, one of the most amazing writers ever. He was Jewish and he was Italian. And he was, um, he was put into um, in a concentration. He went to uh, Auschwitz and he was able to escape. And after leaving Auschwitz, he became a writer and he writes amazingly. But he became a writer there in the worst moment in, of, his, of his life and virtually in mm -hmm. history. And he said that the weird thing about Auschwitz is that even in that situation, they, some dynamics that are typical of the outside world were able to recreate themselves. People still found a way to laugh even, or to, you know, to have light moments, even in that, in that uh, horror. So I think that there is no reason to, and we are not in a concentration camp, so we are in a, less, in a far not less yet. dramatic, not yet at <laughs> least, but we are in a far less dramatic moment in at least at home in the West. So I don't see why, why to, to cancel our, our joy, um, which is ultimately uh, what we Russia. need. Cancel Russia, yes. And, and also Yeski, yeah. No, I, I think it's, we need a counterbalance to all this. That's the point. And that's, I think, what also Primo Levi was saying, that you always try to recreate a counterbalance, otherwise you are not able to sustain life. That's why people were able to, are able to surpass trauma very often, you know. Yeah. So, Jupiter, speaking of counterbalance, which shows did stand out to you? Obviously, I think first one we have to address is Balenciaga because everyone was talking yeah. about it because it was very on yeah. point yeah. with a contemporary yeah. Yeah. moment. Yeah, besides, uh, we need to also always remember that fashion collections are thought and created two years in advance. <laughs> so they are not created a few days before and even the shows, uh, a I show like that... Uh, it's not created, you know. But let's not forget we stitch them up just before we put it on the model wall. <laughs> you know, garments are often being finished, just literally. Yeah, yeah, moment. but they, uh, they, they, they are concept, designed concept, and yes. produced and you have to source the fabric and you have to request a certain amount of fabric and therefore you, you, you need that time. You know, no. but Trend forecasters work, work to 24 absolutely. months in advance. Absolutely. Not by chance. It just, but it's crazy when you think about like, you think everything is so organized? No, actually, like we're actually finishing touches. I always done literally. No, yeah, absolutely. And sometimes you can even see in a, in a fashion mm -hmm. show that the clothes are coming not, apart. Exactly, falling apart. <laughs> Just like this world. Exactly, exactly, exactly. But yeah, it was it was rather beautiful. Um, I didn't, to be honest, see uh, the reason. I think that the the 
And this is one thing that I don't like about fashion shows, that very often people are not commenting on the clothes, they're commenting on mm. the show itself. Mm. And the show dies. What remains is the clothes. What you're going to sell in the show, in, in the, in the, in the mm -hmm. shop, is the clothes. In terms of clothes, I didn't see much difference from any other Balenciaga collection. Beautiful, mm. beautiful. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's not. I, I thought a lot of things were amazing. But I don't see any disruption um, talking about clothes the show itself was amazing and we haven't seen shows like that for a long time because now fashion brands are much much more um, minimalistic when it comes to to shows we are not in the galliano and mcqueen uh, late 90s early 2000s moment anymore you know what so, yeah. this show reminded me of how i used to take garbage out when i was a child yeah yeah and they had the garbage uh, bags made of leather well, they, were, they were not. They looked like garbage bags, but they were not. They were of made course, of leather. Of course, of yeah. course. But the whole satire and irony. This was a very good idea, but you know, it's not so different conceptually speaking from the IKEA bags. You know what I mean? Is is a re. I didn't see any disruption from what Balenciaga is already doing. It's very much in continuity. So I didn't see the reason for cheering to this collection. Where did you see disruption? More than any other. Sorry. Where did you see disruption? Like which collection you think um, was a disruption? Well, the, the most obvious disruptive uh, show for me, oh, we need, mm. to, we need to mention Dior. What was that? What was that? Maria Grazia, what are you doing? No, rugby, that was a little bit too gay, wasn't it? Sorry. No, uh, no. Let me go back to pretend to be straight. I mean, I mean, you know, I think we all are very undefined this times. Well, anyway. I, <laughs> no, that, that was just, that was disruptive, but disruption is not always good because it was not a well-managed I'm, I'm not sure, like, yeah, they all seem to be having a moment of um, uncertainty. Yeah. And yeah, very old references. Stylistically, I mean, be beautiful construction, beautiful construction. There were some nice blazers. Yeah, some nice blazers. Some of the things, the, the most traditional Maria Grazia Curie signature looks were fantastic. Is the, is the, the additions that didn't really make sense. And there was some, some similarities between Balenciaga and Balmain, which was very interesting because it, it points out to a certain direction. You know, these clothes made for safety. That, that was the, the point of both Balenciaga and, uh, sorry, Dior and Balmain. This idea of protective gear that mm -hmm. becomes fashionable. But the one show that we need to address is Bottega Veneta. First show of Matthew Blasi. Yeah. What did you think, Juppé? Um, I really appreciate, I thought was a, do you remember the first collection of Vaccarello at Saint Laurent? Oh, not from the top of my head, no. So the first, I think Saint Laurent's uh, collection, the latest one, was amazing. One of the best shows. But the first collection of Vaccarello at Saint Laurent, Vaccarello was brought into Saint Laurent because they thought he could carry on the job of mm -hmm. Edis Liman. They didn't want to pay to change the store, to change every, mm -hmm. the, the aesthetic implant of the, the aesthetic uh, structures of the brand. Therefore, they got the guy who was cheap and closest to, uh, to Sliman. But Vaccarello demonstrated that he is not a cheap version of Zeman. He is a designer in his own right. And like the best wines, it became better with, with age. Uh, therefore, this show was the accomplishment of a collection. Now, the reason why I'm mentioning it now is because his first collection at Saint Laurent was full of potential, but was not fully accomplished. The same thing, 
I thought was Mathieu Blasi. Mathieu Blasi. I think Mathieu Blasi will become a very good designer at Bottega. He brought Bottega, he was able to, to bring Bottega back to its origins and to his Manuf outstanding manufacturing, these amazing leather uh, products that Bottega creates uh, without entirely diversifying it from, from uh, the Daniel Lee, um. but at the same time without mimicking Daniel Lee. However, I think this show was a little bit um, naive in the styling in the presentation. The single pieces though were amazing. The, probably the problem with this show is that the communication of the, of the brand is still a bit of, is still the victim of Daniel Lee's communication. This sort of minimalistic communication that Daniel Lee imposed to the brand. So the brand has changed with Mathieu Blasi, but the communication um, still hasn't changed. And I think the communication side of the brand needs to sort of, uh, change accordingly but it is a beautiful italian version of hermes for a younger woman and that is what bottega should be so oh. i think from one certain from from um from one certain angle this collection is more bottega than than daniel lee's was and i think it's we will see pleasant surprises in the future Ooh, I'm looking forward to it. But yes, I agree. There were some stunning garments in the show. I also read a very interesting article uh, from another magazine, which said what we experienced in a time, and it was specifically about Miu Miu collection, where fashion probably reconsidering its idea of innovation mm -hmm. and actually just replicating yeah. previous collections and just repeating already successful hits. Yeah. And I thought it was a very interesting take. And in a way, it's not about slowing down, right? It's still producing new garments, but just doing a repetition of itself. Is it like endless era of simulacra, which we are practicing, but yeah. taking it to the next extreme, but we don't even bother trying to revive something from yeah, five exactly. years ago, just I, revive I, from tomorrow? I think that that's the problem. The problem is that we are entering a sort of loop, whether we ask ourselves, are we unable to innovate or we think we are unable to innovate, therefore we don't even try. I almost feel we are not unable to renovate considering the state of the world and Joe Biden talking about world third world war. It's just like a even little that bit is old. But it's old, but it's also uh, very much, you know, we're going back into the same things. And I feel like Russia returning back to Soviet Union. I, I watched the Putin speech where he talks about Lenin for 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. I think, I think Putin needs to go to mausoleum on Red Square and have a chat with a guy because I think he's got a lot to say. <laughs> he's still there, by, by the way. He's still there. You know, you know that a couple of years ago, an Italian, you know that the Italian Communist Party has historically been the strongest Communist Party in Europe. And it took, um, he took, it took sort of instructions directly from Russia back in the day. And one of the Italian relics of, mm -hmm. of the Communist Party uh, proposed to bring Lenin, uh, Lenin's corpse to Italy. 
Well, I mean, I don't it, know why, but yeah. I mean, luckily, it's still there, so putting the can go have a chance. You know that the maintenance is very, very demanding and expensive. They have to every uh, every tot months they have to uh, take the corpse and put it in a liquid. Or I read that they had to they have to make some crazy shit to keep the corpse. I don't have alive. much experience Weird. managing corpses, but I do imagine that would be very demanding and expensive uh, enterprise to. Um, process. Well, Jupi, you know what I'm going to say? Considering how ridiculous and surreal world is and all the things which are happening, somehow this uh, China before capitalism, Shenyu, seems to be more relevant and real uh, or than reality, like the simulacra exactly. of some uh, experience which without the original, because there's nothing original, we just made up some story. But this is very much resonating of a moment in which we live. Did you realize that we today have talked against the people who want to cancel Russia, but also against Putin and the war? We talked against the capitalism that wants to uh, cancel communism, but we also talked against the communism. We are... Going to be cancelled? Yeah, we are. <laughs> we are so, um, so vicious with that. <laughs> Well, uh, look we at us. We should rule the world. That's the thing. We should rule the world. You and I. You and I. Well, yes. Drippy, we are ruling one thing for sure. Culture gone bad. That's our world. Yes. See you next time. See you.